covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is great to have you with us today. The second week of the program since the season has gotten underway. And my goodness, are things different after the course of the past week. When we were talking last week, we were sitting here talking about a team that just swept a three-game series in San Diego. And just one week later, we're talking about a team that just lost two out of seven games on a homestand to divisional opponents, made some mistakes, uh, errors were an issue, pitching at times certainly an issue, and uh, not coming up with big hits and not having the ability to score runs, probably the biggest issue of them all. Before we get into all that, do you want to go through our normal housekeeping items that we normally take care of here at the beginning of the program? First off, if you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and you want to take a moment and leave a rating and review, that would be fantastic. That helps us move up the uh, rankings so more people can uh, find us. Speaking of that, we are continuing to have really good numbers on the uh, listenership. More and more folks are listening, so that's a big thank you to you that uh, we're able to uh, see a lot more people uh, listening and with that if you have any feedback for the show we always welcome it Uh, the best way to get in contact with me is via twitter you can tweet at me at matt Pauley on air m-a-t-t-p-a-u-l-e-y on air if you're not on twitter or you don't want to tweet at me the other option is always email which is matt.pauley at wtmj.com as i mentioned what a difference a week makes And it was a disappointing homestand. It's your first chance to play against divisional opponents. You lose two out of three to St. Louis. You lose three out of four to Chicago. Uh, The starting pitching came around a bit towards the end of the homestand, but there were some starting pitching issues. Hitting was a major issue. They get shut out three times in that homestand. Uh, The bats just were not going. Some key injuries have already impacted this team, and the fielding has left a lot to be desired. When you're committing as many errors as you are scoring runs in a single series, obviously that's not good. And as I do the post-game show on WTMJ after games, talk to a lot of people who are very frustrated. Saw a lot of tweets, saw a lot of text messages from people who were frustrated. A lot of people were already jumping. I don't know if it's a bandwagon to jump on or off, but there was a lot of people out there who were already saying, you know, this is a this is a team that's not going to be good this year. They didn't do enough in the offseason. The pitching isn't good enough. The fielding's not good enough, so on and so forth. Maybe some of that turns out to be true. Maybe it doesn't. I know this for a fact. Nothing that has happened through the first 10 games of the season is enough for us to make any wide-ranging, long-term assessment of the team. They're going to hit better than they've been hitting. How much better? We'll just sit back and wait. They're not going to be as bad of a fielding team as they were on this homestand. They can't be. I mean, they're on a they're on a record pace right now in terms of errors. That's that's gonna that's gonna settle down just a bit. Now, how much better are they gonna get? Again, I, I don't know the answer to that question. They're gonna hit. They're gonna get some hits with runners in scoring position. What percent of the time are they gonna get those? I don't know. I think the thing that at times is challenging is when issues existed last year. They did some things to try to fix those issues. 
but then those issues are beginning to start again this year, it doesn't feel like it's been just 10 games worth of that. It doesn't feel like it's been just 10 games of the fielding being questionable. It doesn't feel like it's been just 10 games uh, of not hitting especially well with runners in scoring position. It doesn't feel like it's been just 10 games of the starting pitching being hit or miss. It feels more than that because of the way things went last year. And if you remember, you know, last year there were the, the expectations were so low for the team last year the judgment at this point in the season, quite honestly, it really didn't exist at the level that it exists right now. You know, when when you have higher expectations, there's there's a higher judgment level of what's going on. So this team has high expectations. This team made moves to seemingly put themselves in position to be a playoff team this year. But then some of the bad stuff that happened last year is happening again this year. So I'm not, I'm not discounting the bad things that have happened. I'm not discounting the fact that the infield errors that have been committed and some mistakes that have been made that don't even go down in the box scores errors. I'm not saying that those aren't bad because they are. I'm not saying that... Uh, the, the starting pitching, especially uh, the starts that have not been made most recently by Chase Anderson and Zach Davies, but what we've seen from uh, from Brent Suter and Yoli Chassin, I'm not saying that's okay. It's got to get better. I, I, and obviously the most important thing is they have to score runs. Getting shut out three times in a seven-game span, you're, that's, not a, that's not something that a team that's going to the postseason would generally do. So it's, it's really easy to get stuck. It's really easy to look at this team and look at some of the bad things that have happened recently and make this big statement about uh, what's going to happen throughout the course of the year. They've played 10 of 162 games. There's a, there's a lot of baseball left to be played. And really go, go look at postseason teams. And what you're going to find is you're going to find some teams get out to great starts and they they hold on to it throughout the course of the year. But there are teams that have a bad April, teams that have a bad April and May. Sometimes that badness, I don't even think that's a word, but you know what I'm talking about, moves into June. Look at the Chicago Cubs last year. They end up winning the division. They really didn't start playing good baseball until into the second half and into the post-All-Star break portion of the season. It's it's okay to be a 500 team through the first couple months of the season. Gives you the opportunity to uh, really push forward in the second half and be in good shape. And one other thing on this, they haven't played especially good baseball. All the things I've already mentioned the fielding, the lack of hitting with runners in scoring position, the starting pitching being hit or miss, all the stuff I've talked about. They have not played especially strong baseball. We know that the roster and this grouping can do better than what they've done. And they're a 500 team. They could easily be a team that's got three wins, four wins, two wins maybe. But they're 5-5. Five and five. So that's, that's a good sign that they've still found a way to win some of these games when not playing especially well. I know that's a weird way to look at something and you know try to brighten something up, but they haven't played especially good baseball, and they're a 500 team. So uh, we'll see what happens this this next week. It's it's another important week for the club. 
hitting the road. They've been good on the road, winning all three games in San Diego. They go back into St. Louis for a three-game set, a team that they just lost two out of three, but last year in winning the season series against the Cardinals, they did most of that work at Bush Stadium. They played better against the Cardinals in St. Louis than they did in Milwaukee last year. And then they go into New York for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, and the Mets have had a nice start to their season. So we'll see how that all ends up playing out. All right, here's what we've got uh, coming up on the program today, our social media conversation. Uh, We are going to uh, talk with uh, Jim Goulart from BrewerFan.net. So I'll look forward to having him onto the program here in just a moment or so. Also from uh, BP Milwaukee as we uh, take care of our uh, minor league segment this week, a first-time guest onto the podcast, excited to talk with Noah Nobs. He's going to be on the program coming up a little bit later on. But right now, let's get into this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. A lot of the big headlines we made reference to in our first segment, but let's get through them. First off, uh, teams got to start fielding better. Uh, They have 14 errors through the first 10 games of the season. That is the most in the big leagues. Their opening homestand, which was seven games, they had 12 errors. The four-game series against the Cubs, they had as many errors as they did run scored seven so they got to clean up the fielding, and the vast majority of those errors have come from infielders. Uh, they are not scoring a lot of runs right now. They got to clean that up as well as they try to uh, get things going. This is a much better hitting team than uh, what they're doing right now would indicate as over the course of uh, the, the homestand, they end up getting shut out in three of those seven games you got to score more runs than that. Uh, so far as a team through uh, through 10 games, they have scored 33 runs. Uh, so just a little bit more than three runs a game being scored right now. you got to get that number a bit higher, and I have faith that they're going to, but that's been, that's been the focal point on what's gone on over the course of the last week or so. A couple injuries of note. The biggest one, Corey Knable. He was pitching and just went down in a heap he ends up uh, straining his right hamstring. And when he was talking about it, he said the doctor said he'll return in four to six weeks. Uh, The Brewers gave a timetable of six to eight weeks. Maybe he's on a rehab in four to six, whatever it is. We'll call it four to eight. Uh, I would guess that that six to eight uh, window is probably more specific on when he'll be back pitching with the Brewers. But I think a lot of people walked out of that ballpark when it happened thinking that Uh, he was done for the season with the way he went down. So you don't like missing him for up to two months, but the fact that he is going to be back with this team and what we were just talking about, you know, you just got to tread water through the first couple months of the season and then go from there. The fact that he's going to be back at some point in the month of June is a a good thing. Christian Yelich has had an oblique strain. They were trying to kind of nurse that thing back where he would be able to get back in the lineup. You got to be really, really careful with obliques. I've talked about this before. With an oblique injury, you can re-aggravate it so easily, so easily, and then all the work you've done and all the rehab and all the healing, it can just go back to zero. 
So you got to be very, very careful with those obliques because they get uh, they get aggravated very easily. They they had shot to get them back over the weekend, and that got shot down. Uh, they had hoped to get them back for Monday in St. Louis, and that got shot down. And they went ahead and made the decision to uh, put him on the disabled list, and uh, he is eligible to return during the Mets series. We'll see whether or not he is able to come back. Relief pitchers have been uh, up and down. Adrian Hauser was called up. He made one appearance, a nice appearance on Sunday, that he was sent back down. Uh, J.J. Hoover got called up, and uh, he was also added to the 40-man roster. He does not have options, so if he pitches well, you would think he's going to stick on the roster for a little while. Taylor Williams comes up. He pitched uh, relatively well on Sunday as well. To make room for Hoover on the roster, uh, they did designate for assignment left-handed pitcher Tyler Webb, who they had acquired uh, last season. And uh, as we record this on Sunday night, no word if he has cleared waivers and if he might be able to stay in the organization. But that's how they got the 40-man spot for J.J. Hoover. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation, and we're very happy to welcome once again onto the program. Uh, you see him over at uh, BrewerFan.net taking care of uh, all the uh, links for the uh, – he's the original link reporter. Uh, he he uh, puts out all the audio every day, my goodness. If you're not following him and following what he does over at BrewerFan.net, uh, you're missing out on some pretty cool stuff that uh, Brewers fans can enjoy. His name is uh, Jim Goulart. Jim, it's always good to talk to you. How are you doing? Matt, thanks for having me again. And, uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Thank you. It is a busy time of year. I have to kind of uh, gear up for the next uh, five and a half, six months of activity online. But um, I like to call it a labor of love. And uh, hopefully the Brewers make it an entertaining labor of love and uh, over the next few months as well. It's been a roller coaster in the first week and a half of the season coming off that San Diego series. Everybody's very excited. Then it gets into uh, the homestand, and there were some obviously some very, very good, exciting moments. But overall, they only win a couple games between seven total games between uh, the Cardinals and the Cubs, and they have won especially gut punch of a loss on, on Saturday to Chicago. It's so early, Jim, and it's tough to make any sort of big, truthful statement about a club, but what's your takeaway off this uh, most recent homestand? Well, I mean, I think uh, Travis Shaw was among those that, that set the point. We, we've re- I've watched every inning thus far, and um, it's been was the one win in San Diego. I think the final score was 7-3, to three, if I'm not mistaken, was the one game where you could kind of, you were either holding your breath, pulling out your hair because it was it was one or the other and um yes i know there's been a couple of um fantastic moments but it's been offset by an awful lot of frustration so far that uh that simply can't continue to be honest and uh frustrating homestand and the team is very fortunate to be five and five um and not somewhere between one and nine and three and seven it's it's odd because 
you want to like watch a game, watch a series, and say make that big statement about a team, and then you maybe compare to some things that happened last year. Last year, the team struggled defensively. They're struggling defensively here recently. Last year, the team struggled with runners on in scoring position. They're struggling with runners on in scoring position so far early on in this season. I think for some, there's a little extra bit of credibility even you know this early on in the season when the struggles that they're dealing with right now mimic the struggles that they dealt with during last year's season. Uh, how do you kind of reconcile yeah. that out? Well, it certainly didn't look that way after the three and zero start. The, the strikeouts were down. Um, defense wasn't that much of an issue, but it was the San Diego Padres, and um, you know, I think the guys were enjoying being out on the West Coast, coming uh, off of you know the spring training, and and just um, uh, it's been difficult to watch. I, I think the microcosm is a, a few plays in, in my mind, in particular the. Um, the botched ground ball up the middle off the glove of Hernan Perez that Lorenzo Cain then bobbled. Um, that was you know earlier in the home stand, and then um, today Jonathan Villar not running out what should have been a triple. And uh, of course you don't, never know how the pitch count is going to go directly afterwards. The pitch sequencing, I should say. But you know, Arcia hits a ground ball that would have scored him if he wasn't on third base, and uh, you know, Quintana's a stud, so who knows how the game goes after that. But we we are seeing just just frustrating aspects of last year, um, which was an 86 win campaign. Let's remind ourselves of that. But yes, it's it's just been um, some some really ugly moments that make you scratch your head and go, have have they learned? And and really, what is the level of um, Self, self motivation to uh, to avoid such things in the future. The pros doing the hardest job in professional sports um, on a day to day basis and maintain excellence. But we're seeing some things that are just um, don't make sense. Almost, it's not this this awkward a team right now, and um, that's what we're watching. Yeah, that ninth inning on Saturday, it was. What we saw was borderline impossible. I mean, just the you wouldn't have believed it for most for most folks unless you saw it uh, with the the air made by Arcia on the throw, the air made by Shaw on trying to hurry up a double play and dropping the ball. Thames taking too long when he fielded the ball at first yeah. to, to where he's going to go, and then on that exact same play, Barnes being late covering at first. I mean, so, it's, I, I, I kind of chuckle about yeah. it. We need to see a lot of growth from Orlando Arcia before any Gold Glove mentions continue. We see it on, we hear it on the broadcast from time to time. You know, oh, this, you know, Gold Glove. Well, it's not a Gold Glove. You're not going to be a Gold Glove until you your head is fully in the game all the time and you make the the routine plays when they should be made. And and we're every one of us who is watching that play. Ninety um, percent of the way through the play, we 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 know we're yelling, just eat it, just hold on to the ball, and it it really set the tone for that whole inning. And my goodness, um, so look, I love Orlando Arcia. Um, to me, he was the one guy that um, there's just there's just nobody ready to step in. And so, in, in some effects, he was the untradeable guy this past off season. 
um, that let's slow down a little bit on anointing him. This um, uh, he's got some growth to do in that regard, and the the rest of that inning. Uh, you know, people will say what they will, too, and we'll need to talk about it. You know, um, Corey Knavel avoided a lot of those issues last year with, with strikeouts, yep. and um, it, was, it was just tough to watch, and I think not to understand a carryover coming into to Sunday's game as well in terms of uh, not only facing one of the top pitchers in, in the league, but just... Uh, Let's kind of wrap our minds together. I hope it's a very eventful flight, because now you're going to St. Louis, where Yuli Chassin has not had success, where you're going to face uh, Carlos Martinez again on Wednesday, and then you're going to face the litany of Mets pitchers before you come back to a homestand with Reds, Marlins, and then you go to the Royals. Um, let's just hope that uh, they can make some hay there. And that will be really telling as well, too, when they get back home. Can they continue what they did against the Padres and take advantage of lesser competition? Let's get way ahead of ourselves because there's six games coming up that will bring us to the first, um, quote, beyond 10% of the season. And um, it's, it's, it's time to snap out of it, to be honest. Um, you've got veterans like uh, Sogard making misplays and Perez. Um, just the whole my, my infield and... My goodness, it's, I think you can tell just from my tone and frustration right now that um, I enjoyed those high moments, but these other games have been difficult to watch. I didn't realize that I, just before I was on uh, getting on the line with you, uh, I was doing some work and I was looking back. Over the course of the four-game series against the Cubs, we know about the, the air number being at seven, but I, I think almost more impactful of a number is six different infielders commit airs in the Cubs series. That's that's tough for that to happen. That is hard to do. Uh, contagious. I mean, can it's just um, there's only so many ground balls that Kylo Subero can hit, and and you know so much infield practice you can take. A lot of these errors have been uh, mental. In, in positioning and in timing and it just everything seems off and um, you know Travis Shaw admits that he kind of froze on that play I mean let's admit it he, he catches that ball he, he can walk he can crawl to third base for you know just to, for an out there at the minimum um, and look he was a stud defensively last year not maybe necessarily with the, the range and making plays in that manner but just being solid, and it was just a bad, bad time for 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 him to freeze up, as he said. And um, it's it seems to have snowballed, and I'm not sure how you necessarily snap out of it, except to have a couple of back-to-back clean games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the biggest story of the week, no matter what else happened, was the fact that they do lose Corey Knebel. Uh, he said four to six. The team officially said six to eight. So I'll just go with the broader range of he's going to be out four to eight weeks. Uh, Manager Craig Council is going with the the closer by committee. We saw Jacob Barnes out there uh, in that game that we've been talking about. Dan Jennings, Jeremy Jeffress uh, have have also been mentioned as guys who can go back there. They don't want to go with Josh Hader. He's more of a uh, a multi inning guy. Matt Albers could see some time uh, in there. Who what? It, who would you like to see maybe get the most amount of opportunities in the ninth inning? I, 
first of all, I, I do think that whenever managers say that, within a week, <laughs> they, they've identified somebody that they're going to go with, invariably. Um, very rarely do you see them continue with the, uh, oh, whatever the matchup is and, and whatever. I wouldn't, to be honest with you, I know he's got literally no track record in this regard, but um, Mr. Albers showed me enough already, um, even in spring training, but certainly now when it counts in the regular season. Um, just such a long-time MLB presence, and um, I think what the crew really needs is, you know, one of those nice, you know, three-run saves where you're up by three or at least two in the ninth, so somebody can kind of establish a flow in that regard. It always seems to be these one-run situations so far. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing Albers get that shot. I know Jeffress certainly had success um, as well, but that was a different type of team with different expectations. And um, I just think that uh, Albers, excuse me, Albers, excuse me, um, is doing a lot of what Swarzak did last year, and just when he comes in, it's it's just looking like he's, he's got a plan and he's executing um, so far. I know it's a small sample, but um, that's where my comfort level would be at this time. Uh, I like the way Barnes is throwing, certainly since the start of the regular season, um, but that's where I'd like to see it go for now, Albert. And I, I do think, like I said, it's it's going to be established sooner rather than later. It's not going to be seven to eight, you know, weeks of, of mix and match. It just it just won't be. I and I agree with you. I'd go Matt Albers. I, I, I the vast majority of opportunities. If there's you know if there's some obvious reason why you can't, that's one thing. But I, I think Matt Albers for now makes the most sense in the ninth inning. I think what you just said about yeah, he's been around for a while. He's not going to get rattled if things do go. Uh, Jacob Barnes pitched perfectly fine the other day. He 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 his teammates let down behind him. But if that's Matt Albers on the mound, maybe it does look different. Maybe there was something in there in terms of handling the situation. I don't know. That probably even that statement is not being fair to Jacob Barnes, but I'm with you. I, I like the idea of Matt Albers generally being the ninth inning guy. Yeah, I agree. That that inning was so bizarre. You you can't even touch Jacob Barnes in that regard. But yes, um, I, it's just, it's so hard to comment on that inning. It really was. It, you, it, it defies any type of logic to discuss um, during, after. Now that it's you know forty eight hours passed, it, it still is mind boggling that um, you try to wrap your head around if, who was if if what could have been and um, yeah. Uh, not, not ideal in, in that situation. We're recording this on Sunday night, and Sunday afternoon was the f- series finale against the Cubs, and Chase Anderson pitched well. Zach Davies' most recent outing, he pitched well. Uh, we we saw a run there where the starting pitchers were, A, not getting deep into games, and B, were not being especially effective. We need to see more from uh, Yolis Chassin, obviously. You know, we're just talking about two good starts, but the fact that Anderson and Davies are coming off good starts, are you are, is that enough for you to kind of feel better maybe about the trajectory or the trend of the starting pitching? I think both of both Anderson and Davies have established exactly who they are at this point. Uh, you know, I have confidence in, in every Chase Anderson start at this point. I just think that the track record now is coming up, uh, you know, a year and three quarters uh, of baseball season action, so to speak, where he's just been 
very, very solid, isn't going to have a blow-up outing, and um, we just know that he's going to keep the team in the game. I'd like to see him pitch with a lead. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, he's He's got, um, you know, uh, not a lot to show for his efforts so far, certainly in the win column, but the... Um, and, and Zach Davies is, again, shown that he just when his command is on, especially when um, he's going to be on the road, which hasn't happened yet, but will be, um, we know he's going to be strong. I think he's always going to be just right on the cusp of the edge of um, having you know, a frustrating outing for Brewer fans. But I think more often than not, he's going to perform at a level that is... Um, Let's see, number three pitcher worthy in a rotation. He's being asked to do a little bit more than that right now. I, I have confidence in those two. I, I, we need to see more from Shasin. And, um, you know, it looks like maybe Junior Guerra on Wednesday. Uh, Brent Suter needs to make uh, something happen here soon. Um, his situation was always tenuous, and I think most people believe he's more ideally set for that swing man middleman two to three innings at a time role in the middle of a game. So, yeah, things are really uh, in flux right now, but also emerging with Anderson and Davies at the top. When you send a guy down to the minors, you have to leave him there for 10 days unless they come back for injury. So that that's why Junior Gare is more likely or is can make that next start as opposed to Brandon Woodruff. They're, they're working so hard right now to keep Jesus Aguilar on the roster. Something that I kind of threw out there uh, the other day was just, and maybe maybe this is more defined than it would actually look, but at this point, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between a, a Junior Guerra and a Brandon Woodruff. Would you be comfortable with them basically going four-man rotation and whenever they need a fifth starter, they essentially rotate between bringing up Woodruff and Guerra and then sending them back down? And because you're going every other and you're able to utilize some off days because so you don't have, you know, you don't always have to use a fifth starter, that essentially you can alternate Woodruff and Guerra for when those fifth starts come up and then use that roster spot for, for a relief pitcher the rest of the time? Yeah, and for that matter, you'll throw Suter in that mix too because he has options as well. Yeah. So there's, there's three guys that you can bounce up and down, and, and Suter certainly hasn't done anything yet to say, hey, I need to be one of the four that you just mentioned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, they'd have to, it, it gets tricky um, in terms of the, the timing. You have to be down for, for 10 days, uh, like you said, and the whole aspect of, okay, well, what if somebody has a really strong start, but we need to bounce him to maintain the, the position player flexibility that we want now you bring up the other guy because it's his turn and he's not successful it's just kind of an it could it could lend itself to an awkward situation you certainly would rather see um, four really strong guys established and a pitcher who could play that role of the the long reliever and when he's needed um, be the fifth starter I know what they're trying to accomplish right now um, but it, it it had the potential to be a little disjointed 
and um, let's just hope it solidifies pretty soon. Yeah, I, I would I would take what you just said one step further. It doesn't have the potential to be a little disjointed. I think it already is a little bit disjointed. You know, Hauser up and down. Williams comes up. We don't officially know who's going to start on Wednesday. Hauser goes back down on Sunday night. We're sitting here wondering, are they going to bring up another relief pitcher to have for two days before they bring up a starter? Are they just going right. to go ahead and bring up the star? I mean, my goodness, there are a ton of moving parts right now. Well, and now what was puzzling, too, was I guess they missed by, by one day. Williams had been down for nine days, Taylor Williams. So they couldn't bring up Taylor Williams on that ninth day, but somehow they felt it was just absolutely, absolutely critical to add J.J. Hoover to the bullpen for that for that one game based on workloads and whatnot. But if they had waited the one extra day, now you can bring up Williams because Hoover doesn't have options. So once you brought up Hoover once, he's locked in now. So you don't have the flexibility with him, and it, it's just um, this melange of back and forth. I'll tell you one thing, though. You've got to love um, what Taylor Williams and then, of course, Hauser as well, too, but um, Taylor Williams, in my mind anyway, let, let's talk for a second about Corey Knabel. Um, even if he was completely healthy this year, again, big, big numbers, he's um, a guy who was a super two, so he's going through arbitration four times. And when a closer um, like that starts racking up saves, his salary numbers potentially, and let's hope they do because that's good for the Brewers, in terms of one wins and losses, is going to really start to ramp up. And um, you wonder if the Brewers would take Nato, for instance, through all four arbitration years, where potentially by the third year, guess what? I think Taylor Williams is the future closer on this team. And by then, you've got a couple of years to prepare him for that role, and then Cable can be dealt. Um, he's certainly not going to be DFA'd, but he would have value in a role where he would still have maybe two years of uh, eligibility for another team. It seems so that it came to mind that I would be talking about you know, trading Corey Canable, um, you know, two off-seasons from now. But I just am such a Taylor Williams fan, and um, with Hauser showing what he can to, we can talk a little bit maybe later in the conversation about what's going on with some of the young arm starters um, it, right now in this organization because it's, it's as exciting I can remember. Uh, last thing on the big league club, and then we'll touch on some minor league stuff here in just a second, but uh, last thing on the big league side of it. Uh, the uh, This kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the airs, but even one step further. Second base, it's Jonathan VR is doing a nice job with the bat, but obviously he's made some mistakes, uh, both uh, fielding and, as you made reference earlier, maybe the, the base running isn't quite there. Uh, Ernan Perez, Eric Sogard certainly haven't done anything yet to make you start yelling, you know, these guys need to be playing every day. How do you feel right now about the second base situation for the Brewers? Well, it's easy to say Neil Walker would not have been making the errors or the uh, the base running mistakes. I like still that you know Jonathan Villar seems to have embraced what we heard about spring training with his Joey Votto videos and choking up with two strikes. And you know he's putting the ball in play. He's getting on base. A couple of his uh, you know a few of his base hits have been kind of fortunate so to speak, they, they found holes through the infield. But 
he's showing that he can still do the job. I'm just not sure they can maximize that with him, you know, sixth or seventh in the lineup. And um, we have to see how this this run-producing lineup continues, because if it continues on this, you know, they're facing good pitching, but three shutouts in, what, five games now? Yeah. Um, if the R is still making good contact, let's see if putting him at the top really improves his, uh, you know, I don't want to say attitude, but just gives him the confidence is what I'm looking for here to um, to really replicate a little bit of 2016. And maybe that gives a charge to uh, everybody else. I know it drops everybody else down a spot in the lineup, and we haven't even touched yet on how lost Ryan Braun looks minus a couple of swings, really big swings this year, but still. So um, that's my thought on second base. I, I still think, you know, given what they – decided to do in the off season and spring training and stick with this triumvirate. Um, yeah, it's still the guy that you have to give uh, the, the most opportunities to. And I think that um, for too long, we might see him um, at the very top of the lineup. Jim, I'm going to very respectfully disagree with you on this because uh, I, I see that this is assuming Christian Yelich is in the lineup. If Yelich stays injured, you can put mm-hmm. Jonathan VR at the top. I don't care. But when Christian Yelich is in there, I think we saw what Lorenzo Cain did in the one spot when he had Yelich coming behind him in the two spot. Cain has seen so many more pitches. I think that one-two pop with Cain and Yelich is so dynamic. I don't want to do anything to that. I I don't care if it gets Jonathan VR going or not. To me, what what Kane and Yelich can do out of the one two spot trumps anything that Jonathan VR can do uh, batting first. And I will respectfully say um, that your your opinion is very sound in that regard. I I don't have a problem with that either. Um, but you know, let's just agree that Kane and Yelich were together for. Um, a good portion of the say, the Cardinal series, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, you know it, it was you're right. It's dynamic, and, and Yelich needs to get back as quickly as possible. Um, but they're going to take the time. Obviously, they made the right decision. It would seem with the disabled, the DL stint, um, obliques are so darn scary. So uh, let's see how it goes. But uh, yes, um, you're you're right. There's a lot of What's the word? Dynamism? <laughs> Dynamism um, with those two at the top, no doubt. Uh, let's. We're, we've got our full uh, minor league segment coming up here in, in just a few moments, so don't want to steal too much thunder from that. But uh, obviously you're very locked in with what's going on down on the farm uh, with the link report and everything that you do on a, on a daily basis. We're, we're less, you know, just a, just a handful of games have been played in the minor league season. There's a, from a pitching standpoint, there's guys who have not even pitched yet. Uh, what, uh, what is your takeaway here in the early? Uh, does anything especially jump out to you maybe yeah, in the it, uh, early it, it, going? Here's the thing that jumps out. The thing that jumped out at me was it, it actually prompted me um, this weekend to go back to um, 1992 and pull up Cal Eldred's uh, stats that year. Good name. Um, he went 11-2 and two, uh, down the stretch for a 92-win team that finished second pre-wild card. And I pulled up his game logs, which I, I asked you know, anybody who's curious, go to baseball reference. I realize it was, you know, 26 years ago. 
but pull up the game logs from, from 1992 for Cal Eldred, first-round pick uh, a couple of years prior, and the fact that he was able to come in, I can't remember since, you know, a mid-season rookie pitcher for the crew, and, and I, I'm, I'm probably missing one or two, but maybe not. So in, in all that time, that was an incredible role, and I'm, I'm old enough to remember it in, in, in quite a bit of detail. So now, he came up, I think July 19th was his, his first start. So it was July, August, September, all, all down the stretch. And for the first time in a long time, I see two guys at AAA in Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta. And whether it's one or even both or some combination, I think that would could be the key to a, to a wild card run for this team, where one of those guys comes up and just lives up to the to the hype that you know. Look, it's only been one start for each, but let's just know that um, I see not only the confidence of the Brewer organization, but also in those two guys. There's something special there, and I think. I'd love to have a Cal Eldred run with one of those two guys. So I, that was the one name that I thought heading into my conversation with you tonight that I would mention just for the veteran fans out there and for younger fans who might want to go, go and research that 92 season a little bit because I think that could be the boost that um, – that keeps the Brewers in the wild card run. Yeah, so 14 starts in him for 92 and 92. He went 11 and 2 with a 1.79 ERA and 14 starts. He comes up fourth in rookie of the year voting. So obviously, uh, that is that is obviously spectacular. So let's take this one step further. Do would you are you willing to make the maybe the big statement saying the reason that the Brewers did not go sign a Lance Lynn, a Jake Arrieta? a U Darvish and Alex Cobb, and probably more so with maybe maybe a Lynn or a Cobb who you could have gotten on a shorter deal, even as opposed to the other guys who are you're going to have to give multiple years. But, you know, Lance Lynn's playing on a one-year deal in Minnesota. Do they not go sign those guys? Because back somewhere in the, in the recesses of David Stern's head, he believes that one or, or both of those guys are going to be impact players with the Brewers this season? I think one of the most amazing things about the Yelich deal is that both Burns and Peralta remained in the organization. And, I, and I'm a big Jordan Yamamoto fan, too. But the fact that he was the only arm that the Brewers gave up in that four-player bundle. Um, look, the Marlins did well, but the fact that they didn't pull additional arms at all, absolutely the Brewers, and I think they've, there's been quotes to indicate this, they are holding spots in reserve. They don't want to tie things up when it comes to this rotation for future years. Um, it's hard to read into the quotes, but I think they know that they have something special in, in those two. And I know you, I'll be anxious to hear your, your minor league segment later on because there's some arms down at the lower levels as well. But these guys are on... The cusp, even though it's AAA and just the beginning of their AAA seasons, for their first AAA seasons, um, I just have a lot of confidence in the Brewers' confidence in, in these two guys. And this isn't like a, a George Lope, you know, Jorge Lopez or Brent Suter, you know, the guys who can fill a spot for you, in, whether it's in years past, however they were considered um, potential future starters. These two gentlemen... 
in Burns and Peralta, you get the sense that, okay, um, there's something that we can really look forward to here, and I think the Brewers are aware of that as well. Jim, always great to talk to you. Uh, Folks following you on Twitter and also uh, going to to BrewerFan.net, give a bit of a plug on what uh, what you're involved with on really an an everyday basis and how Brewers fans out there can enhance their their daily fandom with what you provide. Not a problem. Um, I'm trying to keep up with with two aspects of things. Um, There's a bunch of folks now who are doing unbelievable things, particularly on Twitter, on a nightly basis, and it's wonderful to see with, with the Brewers minor league system, but we just try to put it all together in one spot during the overnight and early morning hours, so that when you, uh, I, I like to say, when it's over your breakfast or whatever, you can uh, go to what we still call the old traditional link report and get Yes, the game scores and links to the box scores, but whatever other insights we can provide, along with um, crediting all those others that are providing some nice video feeds and the affiliates are getting more involved with that now. It's, it's just a, something simple, but um, one thread, one look, and within five minutes you've got a complete recap. The other thing I've tried to do as a service to everybody, you know, I go out and seek the, the different audio um, discussions uh, that all the local radio stations and podcasters and you know folks such as yourself provide us, and I've just tried to provide a simple um, daily post that takes all those um, discussions um, and make it still relevant. So try to do it within a 24-hour period, so nothing gets uh, too dated or anything like that. And if it's all in one spot, one thread, whether it's on your phone in the car or just in the office, go to that link and just choose or pick or maybe grab them all, the various um, audio feeds, and uh, there's your entertainment for the day in terms of getting your brewer fix. So that one's a little more challenging to keep up with over the course of an entire season, as you can imagine. But um, I just figure since I'm listening to them, it's not that big a deal to put a quick post together and let other people um, know that they're out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly utilize it and love it and hope that more and more Brewers, and a ton of Brewers fans already look at it, but uh, every set of eyes extra you get on is uh, is great. So, Jim, it's always a blast to talk to you. Enjoy, uh, enjoy it, and we will talk again as we uh, move along down through the season. Matt, I realize I'm you know not always the most you know analytical of your guests, and I appreciate the perspective they all bring. So um, if I get caught up in the emotions sometime or make some judgments that uh, maybe are outside of the box a little bit. Um, I hope that's still appreciated. Um, like to bring that passion to the discussions. You make it easy. And um, so I, I am glad once again to, uh, to help you out here. Not a problem. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We continue on with you. It's time to go down on the farm. Very happy to uh, bring on a first-time guest onto the podcast. You read him over at uh, BP Milwaukee. His name is uh, Noah Novs, and he uh, joins us right now. Noah, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. This uh, this minor league system for the Brewers continues to be 
really it's a it's a really good system. It took a little bit of a hit uh, with obviously the trade for them to acquire Christian Yelich, but there seems to be a lot of players coming up through the system that have the opportunity to be uh, impact players. Just before we get into some of this more specific things and, and so forth, how, how how do you feel that the system is overall, even after an offseason that saw a number of the top prospects, including the overall number one prospect, uh, leave the organization? You know, I really feel great about it. I think that because that uh, quartet of prospects left, the system might be a little bit underrated right now, but there is a lot of excellent depth down there, and the exciting thing is that there is a wave of top-tier talent that is uh, pushing their way towards the majors and should be there soon. So I think it's going to be a really big year down on the farm for the Brewers. We're just going to kind of go through a rundown of uh, the full-season affiliates that just got their seasons uh, started this past week. Not a lot has really taken place yet as we record this on uh, Sunday night, but obviously there's some prospects at every level that are worth talking about. Uh, so we will start at AAA with the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, who, as we talk on Sunday night, are out to a 3-1 and start playing an interesting first series in Omaha where they had to play some doubleheaders and work around uh, some bad weather. From from my perspective, this roster looks absolutely packed just with talent. There's a lot of prospects. They've got some uh, some veteran folks in there as well to come in there. But uh, the final year of AAA baseball in Colorado Springs, if this roster stays anywhere close to what it looks like right now, uh, they, they've got a lot to be excited about. Absolutely. I think the Sky Sox are going to go out with a bang. So earlier today you said I could pick a name or two from each level to chat about and I said yeah that's no problem talk to you later and then I actually like looked at the roster again seriously I think every single player on this team is worth watching so if you get a chance to catch the Sky Sox this year definitely do it they're a really fun team uh, like on the position player side alone Keon Broxton and Brett Phillips would have started the majors for plenty of teams uh, there's G-Man Choi who had such a great spring training he had that big hit on opening day he actually has an opt-out in his contract on uh, May 15th, so I'm sure the Brewers would love to keep him in the organization. That'll be interesting to watch. And as far as prospects, uh, there are some top-tier guys, Mauricio Dubon's down there. The one I'm really excited about watching this year is Jacob Nottingham, who came to the Brewers a few years ago in the Chris Davis trade. So when he came over, there were some question marks about his gloves behind the plate. He's actually improved a lot back there. He's looking like a pretty decent receiver. He'll throw out his air and base runners. And actually, he was about league average with a bat last year in Biloxi uh, by advanced metrics, uh, like uh, weighted runs graded plus and uh, baseball prospectuses through average, despite the fact that he ran just like a 210 batting average or so. So I think Nottingham could really benefit from uh, the thin air up there, with the caveat, of course, that offensive stats in uh, Colorado Springs generally tend to paint a pretty rosy picture. But I think good things will happen for Jacob Nottingham this year. I still believe in him. So let me, and then maybe, let me stop you there ahead. if you don't mind. So you, you touched on this, but Nottingham is a guy who a lot of people have questioned the glove and thought, you know, maybe once he got to the big leagues, uh, might be somebody that has to switch to first base or be kind of a utility catcher guy who on days he's not catching, he maybe does play a, a little bit of first base. Uh, is do you really feel like that defense has evolved enough where we can look at him as a legit guy, a, a catcher at the big league level? 
You know what? I mean, I think it's still a work in progress, but I think he'll get there. I really think he'll get there. He seems like he's got a great work ethic. Uh, he's looking a lot more comfortable back there receiving the ball. I think it's going to be a great year for him, and uh, I, I envision his floor as being sort of a backup catcher with some top, and I think that's something that he can definitely attain uh, and, and hold that to big league level, and I think there's still some room above that, too. I, we were just talking with uh, Jim Goulart on the program before you came on, and uh, one of the things he's really watching out for this year at the big league level is to see whether or not uh, a Corbin Burns or a Freddie Peralta could potentially make an impact with the Brewers this season. And there's some people out there that think the reason that uh, the Brewers at the major league level didn't go sign one of those veteran starters is because deep down they believe one or both of those guys could be in the rotation before the end of the season. Uh, when you mentioned them before casually, you said that they are very important for this organization. That's why. Those those are the next guys that are going to get to the starting rotation at the major league level level what what are your expectations from them as long as they are at triple a okay so deep down in my heart i believe in every prospect but i i really like carbon and Freddy. i think it's going to do uh good things this year it's really interesting in colorado springs this year actually how the organization has decided to challenge some of their top pitching prospects and assign them there never mind the elevation uh so they both looked good in their first starts of the year and I really wouldn't be surprised to see one or both of them in the big leagues by the middle of the year. Probably I'll say Burns in the rotation, maybe, and maybe Freddie Peralta working from the pen at first, maybe as a swingman or lawn reliever. I think uh, I think they can get there this year. Uh, I think that probably is that probably did the organization's decision not to pursue a bigger ticket uh, free agent signing. And I'm going to throw in uh, Jorge Lopez to that group as well. He's back in. Colorado Springs two years after pitching there sort of messed with both his, his curveball, uh, just like the physics of it from the high elevation and also his confidence. But he's another guy that I think could still have a bright big league future, even if it's just as a reliever. He's still got a beautiful curveball, good fastball, uh, and, and I'm really curious to see how the organization handles his growth this year. I remember talking to him. We did a show at uh, we always did the the Brewers off season event, the on deck event. We do a show there every year. Not this past one, but the year before. Lopez was one of our guests, and he's I, the thing that struck me about him was his attitude. How he's so willing to go do anything. You can't help but after talking to him, you can't help but just rooting for the guy because he seems like he has the perfect attitude and you know he's been bumped between starting and relieving uh they, he's been bumped between Colorado Springs and Biloxi because of his uh, the, the level of uh challenges that he experienced there at Colorado Springs but you know here's a guy who made his big league debut a few years ago this was as hot of a pitching prospect as as they had a couple years back you, you would absolutely love to see him finally kind of fulfill that promise yeah, definitely. He's so easy to root for. He seems like a great guy, and uh, I, I really hope he gets a, an extended look in the bigs this year. I think it'll happen for him. All right, let's uh, jump to Double A Biloxi, and they've got an interesting outfield situation. People know about uh, Trent Grisham, Corey Ray. Corey Ray is such a question mark because he, he, you know, everybody just thought that this guy was going to jet through uh, the minor league system when he got drafted, and so far he's had a hard time putting anything together. But uh, that outfield group includes Troy Stokes Jr., who might be kind of the dark horse to be really a, a special player. 
Yeah, he put together very quietly an extremely solid year last year. I think split between uh, Carolina and Biloxi. So he's a guy that I really like. He's five foot eight. He has good speed and some surprising pop for his size. So uh, his swing can generate uh, a lot of loft on the baseball. And uh, he did pretty well last year when he hit double A across about 130 at bat or so. So I'm really curious to see how he does uh, in the first half of this year. He's got a really quick hand. He's got a good eye. The thing that's holding him back, I think, is his barrel control. He'll swing through or uh, pop up a few pitches uh, down the hardest way that you'd kind of like to see him punish. But hopefully that's something that will come with a few more reps. And I think that he could really uh, open some eyes this year in Biloxi. Corey Ray, even if he has a, a repeat of last season, this season, he's obviously still going to be given opportunity. So I, I put that disclaimer on this question. How much of a make-or-break year is it for Corey Ray? You know, I think he's got a lot to prove himself personally this year, maybe even more than he has to prove to the organization. He seems like a really motivated kid. And I think he's going to take all of the uh, trials and challenges as, like, so much more fuel. So I really hope that he buckles down and uh, and is able to start producing on the field. As far as it being a make-or-break year, I think he's right to keep getting opportunities. He's incredibly athletic. He's a fast kid. Uh, so I mean, this isn't what we want from your fifth overall pick, but I think it's still, like, uh, eminently attainable that he ends up as a reserve in the big league, even if he doesn't uh, make some of the adjustments that you'd like to see him make. Um, but I'm hoping that he'll still be able to do that. We can write off a certain percentage of his struggles last year uh, due to um, his injury at the start. I'm not really sure how much that played into his year, but I think it probably did have some effect. Uh, so I'm really curious to watch him this year. I say that, I do realize that he's, I think, struck out at least twice in every game so far uh, for the Shuckers this year. So it's definitely a big season for him. Uh, but I'm, I'm still holding on to some cautious optimism. Cody Medeiros has made one start. He pitched quite well, went five innings, giving up just three hits, uh, four strikeouts. He did walk three. He's been a little bit of a slow mover through the system, so kind of the same deal with him. Uh, how important of a season is it for him to, to, to really have that good year and, and force the organization to maybe push him up even another level? Yeah, I think it's a pretty important year for Cody. I am excited about him. He started to... Uh, sort of harness his command a little bit more last season, which I really liked to see. Um, this year, I mean, so he's got that funky low delivery, right? The low arm slot uh, that a lot of scouts have pointed to as a reason for him to eventually end up in the bullpen. I think the Brewers are right to keep on developing him as a starter for as long as they can, even if he is probably headed for a relief role. Uh, but the thing that I still dream on with Cody is that he still has that wipeout flyer that turns head flexible. He's learning how to control it, harness it, use it a little bit more effectively. Let's see, he sits in the low 90s, and I think last year he took some really good positive steps. So with one or two small adjustments, I think he could sort of shoot up and uh, make his way into the big league bullpen. Uh, faster than you'd think, given his development time so far. But what I'd love to see, and this could be a pipe dream, but what I'd love to see is Madeira sort of slotting into the like multi-inning Josh Hader kind of role 
and Hader eventually transitioning to rotation. I have no idea if that's in the cards. But I think it's going to be a pretty big year for Cody. I believe in his adjustments, uh, and I think he's going to go out and get him. I'm really looking forward to watching him this year. Jumping down to the Carolina Mudcats, the uh, the top prospect in the organization is in Carolina. It's Keston Hira. He's going to DH a lot for the first uh, bit of the season. They're just being very careful with that arm. For the first time, like in the history of Keston Hira, he's not hitting as we're talking right now. He's 1 of 15. Obviously, that's going to turn around uh, very quickly. He's a, he's as good of a hitter as they have in the minor league system. I, really, the only question with him at this point probably is how fast they push him through the system. Yeah, you know, that's going to be fascinating to watch. I think a lot of people are projecting him uh, to reach the big leagues sort of like the end of 2019 or so, and that sounds pretty reasonable to me. However, I will say that elite prospects sort of have a way of uh, moving through the minor leagues uh, like on their own time, you know, and Hira may well be elite. He certainly has an excellent bat. So I'm curious to see how he'll do. You mentioned his slow start. Every reason in the world believing that's going to turn around really soon. I think it's going to be really fun for fans to, to watch him move up throughout the year. I'd love to see him uh, raking in Biloxi come June or July. Call me crazy, and I probably am, but I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that as the season goes along, he gets a call up to Double A, and especially if the Sky Sox are maybe a playoff team, they let him finish out the year this year in Colorado Springs, giving him an opportunity to go into spring training next year. Probably not making the Brewers on opening day next year. I think that'd be pushing it a little bit too much, but going into spring training next year in big league camp, ready to break at Triple A, where he could potentially come up at some point during uh, the course of next season. Yeah, I agree with you. I would love to see that. I think that is a path that he could certainly achieve. I'm just hoping that the uh, the holds that I'm a little bit nervous about that, and that he's able to get some reps in at second base. Nathan Kirby, everybody is rooting. Uh, for this guy, and he's he's finally out there pitching. Uh, he made his first start. Uh, we're talking on uh, on Sunday, and he made his first start uh, earlier today. Or he made yeah, and he went two and a third innings, giving up a, a run on a hit. This is a guy if he can stay on the field and everything. Everybody wants to see this guy do well. Absolutely, what a journey he's had. So they picked him. What was it? Fortieth overall back in 2015. He's subsequently had a couple of different elbow surgeries, including Tommy John. But he has electric stuff when he's on, or at least at college. He's only pitched, I think, about 13 innings uh, of organized pro ball since signing. Uh, but I like him a lot. Uh, he's uh, I think he's about 6'2", 185, 190, something like that. Uh, great stuff for a left-handed pitching prospect. It's going to be a huge year for him. I'm really excited to see what he can do when he's healthy. I'm expecting lots of strikeouts. Let's uh, let's start to wrap up as we go down to uh, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And uh, Tristan Lutz is a guy. He hit his first home run of the year uh, earlier on Sunday when they uh, beat Beloit for their first win of the season. Uh, another prospect who uh, you, you would think that uh, he's going to have an opportunity to, to have a good year and uh, force an issue in, in terms of where he's going to be able to finish out this season. 
Yeah, I think Tristan Lutz, if his tools come together, has a chance to move through the system pretty quickly. So the Brewers grabbed him uh, 34th overall last summer, but what is it they were considering him as high as their uh, number nine pick, too? He's uh, he's just out of high school. He's a big, strong Texan. He absolutely obliterated the rookie league last year. And I think it probably surprised a lot of people when folks over at Fangraphs uh, ranked him 68th as the 68th overall prospect entering the season. But he has ridiculous raw power. Uh, his profile reminds me a little bit of uh, of Corey Hart, actually. And his exit velocities have been absolutely off the charts. Like, they would work among the major league leaders off the charts. And he's got the arm for right field, so I'm really excited to see how he'll do. I think he's going to be a really exciting player. According to MLB Pipeline, when they do the scouting on him, his best uh, his best tool is his arm. They gave him a 60. They also give him uh, a 55 on, on power. How much of an impact, especially with that arm, do you feel like he can have from a defensive standpoint? I think his defensive impact is going to be mostly in that arm. He's, he's only going to play an average right field with the glove, but I think he'll cut down some runners, and that's going to make up for a lot of that. So I, I'm looking forward to getting a better look at him out there. Uh, I'm excited to see his arm in action. They've got a nice group of uh, catchers there in, in, in K.J. Harrison and, and Peyton Henry. Seems like the Timber Rattlers always have solid catching going on uh, with some of these uh, prospects that, uh, that, that are coming up. What do you see out of those two guys in their futures? Yeah, it's another front for Timber Rattlers catchers. So K.J. Harrison and Peyton Henry uh, are sort of similar players. So Harrison, uh, they got last year in the third round out of college. Peyton Henry was surrounded out of high school in 2016. They both have really nice bats, some good stuff, but they do come with plenty of defensive questions, and it's conceivable that either or both get pushed out from uh, behind the dish, probably to first base, maybe the field. They really need bats to work out in order to shine. That said, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them both play this year. I think uh, Harrison didn't play much catcher his uh, last year of college, so I haven't. I don't really know what to make of his defense, uh, but I'm going to take a good look at him. I really hope he can stay back there. It'd be exciting to have some, uh, some good catchers coming up through the system. Last guy to talk to you about. I mean, there's so many folks to talk about. We're, we're leaving a lot of folks out, but I uh, just wanted to focus on a, on a few individuals. Uh, a pitcher for the Timber Rattlers by the name of Joaquin De La Cruz. And maybe not as many folks know about this guy. He's been uh, pitching in, in the Dominican Summer League since uh, since 2015. Uh, he, he was in Arizona for a little bit last year playing a short season. But this is a guy who could kind of be a bit of a surprise and, and maybe turn into something yeah i love this guy so he's 22 years old and he's already he signed originally with the cardinals out of the dominican republic when he was 17 years old and at the time he was a slick fielding third baseman but he never got the bat going the cardinals got him after i think two years and the brewers scooped him up and sent him down uh pitcher just thanks to his arm strength and he's been pitching uh, full-time ever since. You mentioned he's been pitched since 2015. And the encouraging thing about him is that he's looked better every single year. He's racked up one more strikeouts. Finished last year with a little more than a strikeout per inning. Uh, he throws a splitter, which is fun. That seemed to be the organization's like, favorite pitch last year. And I'm really looking forward to getting a better look at him. Uh, that he'll be playing with Wisconsin. He has a great story. He's easy to root for. And he seems to have some real fun on the map, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. 
No, I think most of the listeners know uh, how much I think of BP Milwaukee. We have uh, folks from uh, from the side on all the time. But before I let you go, uh, give me a plug for what's going on there and what people can expect from uh, you coming up throughout the course of the baseball season. Absolutely. There is some great content going on over there. I hope everybody reads the site. I mostly do uh, minor league stuff. I have my, my, my like particular area of interest is sort of overlooked uh, or forgotten about. Uh, so I'm going to be writing a lot about that. But we've got a great team of writers uh, to analyze the big leagues as well. It's, it's a great site. I, I hope you all read it. People can follow Noah on Twitter at Noah Novs, N-O-A-H-N-O-F-Z. Also follow uh, the, the folks at BP Milwaukee on Twitter and check out the website at uh, bpmilwaukee.com. Noah, a uh, great first appearance on the podcast. It will not be uh, the last as long as you're willing to uh, return. So thank you so much for uh, taking some time and giving us some insight on some of these minor leagues guys. It was uh, great stuff. Absolutely. It's been fun. Thanks for that. All right, that is Noah Novs, and we appreciate him taking some time with us. First time on the podcast, he did a nice job talking uh, all things minor leagues. Again, in this uh, minor league segment, uh, what we try to do is kind of uh, we'll talk to uh, some people who cover the minor leagues, like Noah is, and talk about uh, everything that, um, that that that's going on throughout the entire system. And then we'll also have the uh, respective broadcasters on from the various teams, and we'll kind of toggle between the two as we. Uh, as we continue on so that's something to uh, keep an eye out or I guess an ear out for as we do continue on but for now that is going to uh, do it for the podcast here is what is on the schedule this upcoming week uh, they start on Monday a three game series in St. Louis uh, they'll play at 6.05 on Monday 7.15 on Tuesday and then they have a 12.15 start coming up on Wednesday they'll get their first off day since uh, Sunday March 1st since Easter Sunday they'll finally get another off day coming up on Thursday the 12th and then they uh, head to New York for a three game set against the Mets going Friday, Saturday and Sunday before they return home for a four, excuse me, for a seven game homestand uh, against Cincinnati and Miami but we'll talk again before that homestand starts so what is uh, up between now and our next podcast three games at St. Louis and three games in New York against the Mets. Do want to say thank you to uh, both of our guests today, both uh, Jim Goulart from BrewerFan.net and also uh, Noah Nobs from uh, BP Milwaukee. Thanks so much for uh, being tuned in. Again, if you ever have any feedback for me, you can uh, pass it along at Matt Pauly on air on Twitter. That's the Twitter handle, Matt Pauly on air. Or you can drop me an email, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. We look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We're powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.